As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, everybody. This is The Ruck. If you thought we got rid of the French through Brexit, well, they were all over the place on the weekend. Men's players, women's players were absolutely dominant. And in the quarterfinals of the Heineken Cup, we find five French teams and three others, Exeter, Sale and Leinster, cowering in the corner as these five giants motor towards the title. Also, a great weekend for the women's Six Nations, or was it? Certainly there was lots of coverage, certainly there was lots of excitement, but what there were not were competitive rugby matches. To discuss all these issues, we have Lawrence Delalio, no introduction needed, Stuart Bounds, no introduction needed, and Sarah Mopford, the editor of Rugby World, not much introduction needed. Sarah's known as the Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde of rugby Uh journalism. She's absolutely fine, unless... You're one second late with your copy for Rugby World, in which case she turns into another being altogether. Barnsley, I think we can say it is not pleasant when you get the call from Rugby World editor when you're more than a few seconds late with copy. Uh, you can't answer the phone. I live in Wiltshire and I just say, didn't get the call, Sarah. Sorry. Right. Well, I'm the same. And she's not. Been... I've got about six missed calls from her recently and not even late yet, I don't think. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, I'm trying to talk to you about your column. <laughs> it, I, I know you are. That's why I haven't I can't commission call. you if you don't answer your phone. I'll tell you what, it's scary. I'd, I'd rather play against harassing in my bathing trunks than, than speak to you when I'm late for copy. The five French teams. Lawrence, um, let's come to you first. There were other issues with some of, the, <clears> some of these games, but all those who say that the French sometimes don't take European rugby seriously must be eating their words this morning. There's something big happening in in France, you know, whether it's the national team, whether it's club rugby, it, and it's been happening for a while. You know, they said, I think it was the All Blacks they said many years ago, back in, you know, before 2003, you know, if England never got their act together, you know, they're, they're a sleeping giant of world rugby. And I think the same can be said for France. Mm. You know, they haven't won a title in the Six Nations for 11 years. You know, you've got to ask yourself why. They are an enormous sleeping giant, probably just behind England in terms of the playing numbers available in in the game of rugby. We know how much money and how much passion is invested in in French club rugby. And I guess it's no surprise, you know, if they get their ducks in a row, which they're slowly doing, you know, they've got the men in charge in world world rugby. um, Things are starting to happen in France. They've been awarded the, the World Cup 2023 They've got um, some, some some good eggs in charge of the national team, and and you know they've that things are starting to move forward, and and their club sides slowly but surely are coming together. Um, you, you know they've they've always had one or two that that, that stand out above the rest, and, and in recent years that's been the likes of Toulouse and and Racing. But uh, when, when you add Clermont and Bordeaux and, and 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 so many other you know Lyon, so many other clubs that that, that are capable of it, um, you know what's it five out of eight of the quarterfinalists that. Mm. Are, a French, and it's no surprise, really. Um, I guess the the only difference being maybe we, you know, we used to th- throw the old sayings at French teams, where you never know which which French teams are going to turn up. They don't travel away from home, 
I, I do think those things are starting to change. We've seen some some big performances from French sides, particularly away from home in this competition. Sarah, what do you put it down to? I mean, obviously, this World Cup that's coming up in a couple of years' time is going to be gigantic. Do you think it's concentrating French minds? Because at the moment, the TV deals have gone through the roof. The clubs are playing really well. Or or, or is it, are these just, uh, just individual clubs doing well? I think it, the World Cup probably is focusing minds. And we've seen a lot more focus on French players coming through. In recent, you know, 10 years ago, there was a massive influx of players from the Southern Hemisphere when Toulon won those three back-to-back titles, they didn't have that many like France players in that team. Whereas now there's all those players that have come through one junior world cups. Is it Jordan Joseph, the number eight at Racing, who was really good yesterday. Like he was heavily involved in those number eight uh, at number eight for that France under 20 squad. So they've got these young players coming through and are developing homegrown talent rather than just bringing in a lot of Southern hemisphere players or Pacific Islanders. And then maybe not getting that team spirit that we're seeing over the weekend. Stuart, um, you gave a lot of praise to Ronan O'Gara at La Rochelle, a guy who's come out uh, from outside the French culture and and sort of imposed his own. The, the, the standard of coaching in France was never that, never seemed to be that brilliant amongst the clubs. It'd always be one or two you weren't really sure about. But at the moment, uh, the way they're playing for a start, but also the fitness levels and, and the coaching and, and what they're trying to do seems to be reaching a different level. Yeah, what they have done, um, off-scene, so to speak, their fitness levels have gone through the roof. Um, they didn't used to have, you know, I, I talked to my old scrum halfback, Richard Hill, Bath in England, uh, Nyan captain, and he said, you know, when he went to France, he couldn't believe they didn't have dietitians. They, they had nothing that's taken for granted. And perhaps we think it's almost top heavy in England. They've now started doing that. And these are things we can't see, but they're having a massive impact. And you look at the things, Sarah made a very valid point about the, the under 20s. They've got, you know, sometimes you just get good players coming through. They've got those. They've got a renaissance. And they say in France, when to look to lose a playing well, France playing well. Toulouse are a very good team. They get coaches like O'Gara that are giving them another uh, side up. And also, the, it, it's not great for the small clubs. You look at Agen, who are desperate in the uh, pro, pro uh, in, the, in, in top 14. Mm. But the money's going to the Giants, and the Giants are using it well. So Racing, Toulouse, uh, La Rochelle coming through. These are big clubs. They are. Claremont uh, always gets some stick because they um, never quite achieve what, what they want. But um, when you're talking about uh, players coming through, I mean, the Claremont bench against Wasps on the weekend, and this is Wasps with, with a lot of players out, the Claremont bench was absolutely frightening. Um, just before we go on to some of the performances, Lawrence, um, listening to your esteemed colleague, Mr. Healy, yesterday at, at the Bordeaux-Begler-Bristol uh, game, not happy about the refereeing. And, and one thing I have, I've always said about uh, the, the Heineken Cup is when the England and French teams play each other, it really leaves the refereeing threadbare. And I don't know whether you agree, but I thought that some of the refereeing at Wasps and also at Bordeaux left something to be desired and also the technical quality of the pictures. Yeah, I mean, listen, I think I think the... Uh, first of all, let's put it out there that I think the five... In fact, all eight quarter-finalists, you know, thoroughly deserve to be there. Mm. Um, I think what we saw across the weekend is a lot of high-scoring games, uh, you know, in, in both the Challenge Cup and the Champions Cup. Uh, just, I can't remember a weekend of European rugby when we've had so many tries scored. And I don't know whether that's because of the new format that EPCR have stumbled across um, by default or, or not. You know, that they, 
we only played two games, one home, one away, and, and we got straight into a sort of effectively a knockout stage match. Around this time, we normally have rounds five and six in Europe, and there's a lot of dead rubbers, uh, a lot of dead matches, um, and we didn't have that this weekend. Everything was on the line because of the uh, the knockout nature. So it might be worth just mentioning that EPCR might want to look at next year's format and say uh, is four rounds, um, uh, you know, the, the way forward, and then go straight to a to a last sixteen rather than have these six matches where rounds five and six just become incidental for certain clubs. Um, back to the officials. Um, I don't take anything away from the sides that progressed. I think they thoroughly deserved it. Is it controversial to say that the best officials in the world at the moment in Europe certainly are from France and England? I don't think that's controversial. I think that's fact. I think yeah. the likes of Luke Pierce, Wayne Barnes, Matthew Carley, I think if any any number of five or six French officials. Um, and I think it does leave a, a paucity of, of officials when it comes to the rest. And, uh, and that's something that World Rugby and EPCR do need to look at. I think the bench, going back to specific games, um, the Wasps match, Best I've seen Wasps play all season. It was the Wasps of last season. That They can't really blame the officials. Yes, there was a big forward pass. Yes, they had three uh, tries chalked off, but they um, they created enough opportunities to win the game. Minotsi will be having nightmares about not putting the ball down after scoring uh, what looked like one of the great European tries. So mm. I don't think they can be, you know, that, that they can blame the officials. Um, just turning to, to, to Bordeaux-Bristol again, I think when we look at the final analysis, Bordeaux did a job on Bristol. They... They managed them. They kept them. They kept their opportunities down to to limit. Yes, there was a bit of controversy when Bordeaux were up for five points. Potential knock on, potential simbinning to Bordeaux. Not quite the camera angles you'd expect in in the UK when a game is broadcast. But uh, we're kind of used to that in France. And I, I, as much as I want to say it, I don't think the officials cost them the game. I think Bordeaux deserved to win in the end. Just before we move on, Lawrence, uh, the Wasps uh, have now lost five or six on the trot. But what mm. struck me is that um, they're absolutely undaunted. I mean, they threw themselves at uh, at uh, the the the, the um, Clermont attacking line as if that you know with a total disregard for mm. self preservation. I thought their spirit was absolutely magnificent. Yeah, look, I mean, just very quickly on Wasps, they've everything that could have gone right for them last season went right for them. If things fell into place. They, they had less players injured. Um, they, they scored tries that that, uh, that that were magnificent. I think the opposite has happened this season. Everything that could have gone wrong has gone wrong. You know, they lost Joe, Joe Launchbury uh, and Jack Willis for, for for big parts. Well, Jack Willis for a long time. Dan Robson's been picked for England, um, you know, given the odd five or ten minutes here and there. But it means he's away from Wasps. That They were back to the, their old selves yesterday. And I think, you know, Referees, refereeing aside, where when Claremont can bring on, as you say, an international class front row in the last five minutes to win them the game, uh, I think there lies the difference between English club rugby at the moment and French club rugby. In, in England, they've everyone's taken a twenty five percent pay cut and squads are being cut, and in France, well, with, with a new TV deal, they'll be taking twenty five percent pay increases and squads will be growing. So uh, there's a big difference across the channel at the minute. Sarah, um, Lawrence was saying that the, 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 this, the round that we saw last, uh, this weekend, the round of the last 16 in both competitions, was, was only there as a stopgap and uh, just something to hack. They, they hacked together, but it was so good. Do you, do you feel that, I mean, there are rumours that, that they're going to keep it this round. Uh, I mean, do you think it was, it's a great idea? Well, I think it's a great idea. Do you agree? And do you think they ought to fix the competition so we have this round of the last 16? Yeah, I believe there are discussions about reducing the pool stages as they were supposed to be this year with just four pool games and then go into a round of 16. And I think it has worked really well. I mean, 
I, for one, definitely think there's too many games in the season. This would only reduce games by one, really, because you're taking away two cool games but adding in another knockout stage. But it definitely adds more drama. I mean, this year we have seen some weird things like Sale getting into the knockout stage, just having not actually won a game because they only had two pool games. But if you're obviously in a normal season and there were four pool rounds, it would be probably you'd get through by winning games. So agreed. Stuart, um, this just before we leave the French teams, um, we've got La Rochelle, Clermont, Toulouse, Bordeaux, Begler and Racing going through. Uh, it's very difficult to pick one out of those five, but who, who, who are the favourites now? And, and, uh, and I guess it's good for the rest of the competition that actually there are two all-French ties, because otherwise you, you could have four French teams in the semis. Well, first of all, I'd say Clermont... Uh... My least favourites. I think they will lose to to lose. It was a cracking game at Wasp, but Clement are so vulnerable defensively. They look very weak, and I think Toulouse will forensically cut them to pieces. The game that really gets me. Everyone talk talk about Exeter Leinster, but I think La Rochelle Sale is going to be a cracker. I think Sale might knock them out. I think La Rochelle are vulnerable to the power of a Sale team who are getting better and play things with simplicity and halfbacks that know what they're doing. So I, I think, Steve, when it comes down to it, Toulouse and Racing would be my two favourites. And also, you know, you have to remember this whole European thing about experience. Lawrence will tell you again, you've got to have been there. It has to be in the bank. La Rochelle is still coming up through the ranks. They're exciting. Um, but it's Toulouse and Racing definitely for me. Let's just move on. That There are three other teams, as I said, cowering in the corner about this one. Not really. Exeter, Leinster and Sale. Uh, I, I think we we thought that there was a Welsh revival going on. That was very much put back in its box yesterday. Absolutely astonishing scoreline at at, uh, at uh, Parky Scarlets, where Clenethley have always been great cup-fighting teams, with 57 points scored by Sale. Lawrence, um, are we just on the verge of seeing another great English club, club team coming through, and, and 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 were you as sort of taken aback as I was by fifty the fifty seven points? Uh, well, both really. Um, I mean, Alex Sanderson is a is a great fit for for Sale. You know, he's yeah. played there, he's from there, he understands the culture, understands the mentality. I think under Steve Diamond, um, they're they're well backed, they've been well organised. You know, you've got to say that. Uh, that Alex Arneson slowly but surely will will, will take them forward. I, I, I do believe that. Whether they're good enough to quite take on some of the some of the big powerhouse clubs of uh, uh, that we've got left in the competition remains to be seen. But they're they're the sort of team that you underestimate at your peril because um, you know they've. It, I've always just worried about Sale this season particularly that they're a bit bludgeon. You know they're, they're, they've got they're very physical and we know why. I mean they're packed full of South Africans for a start. They're going to have that physical confrontation, but. Have they got the, the kind of guile and, and the brains and the intelligence um, to uh, to break to break some of the better defences open? And uh, you know, on the evidence of what we saw yesterday, um, they seem to have added a bit more to their game. You know, I mean, to score fifty-seven points away from home, uh, and that's the other point. We, we 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 must mention this that ordinarily, if we were talking about a quarter-final lineup with eight teams, you know, you ask Stuart who his favourites are. You know, he's picked two teams that have got away ties. Uh, and the reason he's picked that is because there's no crowds in any of these games. Um, yeah. You know, ordinarily, six out of those eight quarterfinals will be won by the home team. Um, but I think Sale showed yesterday that, you know, if you, you can go anywhere now and win a game of rugby. Um, and I think that's that has to be taken into consideration. So, yeah, they've got a great chance. As Sarah said, they've come in via the back door. Um, you know, some people might be arguing that 
is it fair that, that that certain sides are in the last eight? They're having lost quite, you know, one of their pool games or not even won a, won a game. But uh, I think on the evidence of what we saw yesterday, uh, they're going to add an enormous amount to this competition. We'll come to Stuart in a second uh, for Stuart's views on Exeter and Leinster, which is obviously the big game in England next week. But Sarah, um, we've got this huge gap w- w- in Wales between the, the, the efforts of the national team and the uh, and the efforts or non-efforts really of the of the uh, of the four regions. They were meant to be um, improving the regions, but the evidence is. I mean, Clanathley of the Scarlets had all their players out. Liam Williams was there. Ken Owens was there. Wynne Jones was there. Uh, Jonathan Davis came on. Uh, Gareth Davis was there. I mean, it's a shocking result. Does that does that suggest that? still all the clubs of the other uh, countries are still racing away from the Welsh. It was a pretty miserable weekend all round for the Welsh, wasn't it? I mean, in the Challenge Cup, they were competitive, but they lost all their games, like, often in the, like, blowing big leads, Mm. whereas the Scarlets was even more miserable because they didn't even get anywhere close to winning that. I mean, they were on the back foot from the off. There was the interview with Ken Owens at the end. I think he was, he just couldn't, you know, he couldn't explain what had gone wrong. No. They were totally out-muscled, overpowered in every facet. And every time they did sort of show something good, they made an error. Sale came back down the other end and scored. So I still think there is a massive gulf there. They are trying to get more of their players to come back to Wales through the sort of 60 cap rule. But they're still, they still don't have the budgets to match the Premiership teams or the French teams mm. or the Irish teams. Stuart, uh, as our um, leg man down in uh, in Devon on the weekend, um, uh, Exeter so, so slightly not quite at their best at, uh, recently, but put away, you know, they put away their op- opponents pretty pretty well. Exeter, Leinster, how does it measure up for you? I think Exeter are a little bit vulnerable. Um, I know Rob Baxter said they were rusty because they haven't had their internationals. Last season, they were just blasting all. In the first 20 minutes, Leon took them to the cleaners and played some very good rugby, by the way. Another French team that, okay, in the end, they conceded a a hatful, but they were not bad. Uh, And yes, Exeter ground their way back into it. And by halftime, 26-20, you knew who was going to win the game. But uh, it's going to be crucial who is ref and how they referee. Uh, Because in all-court rugby, Leon were outplaying them to a certain degree. And then uh, Exeter started to get their phase rugby going. And, and they were going off their feet, as I've been saying for years. And Ben Whitehouse, the Welsh referee, didn't have the strength to say to Exeter, penalty. We saw the two games before, we saw Frank Murphy being really hard, accurate and excellent at the breakdown in the Wasp game, where the, any hands going over the top, he pinged them. That didn't happen at Exeter. And... And with the penalties going their way, it was very easy then. Exeter banged the ball into the corner and Leon were uh, incapable of stopping them, camping there until they scored. And Exeter ended up with seven tries. Most of them came from plays that started from penalties and lineouts in that 22. It's Exeter's forte and it's what they do brilliantly. But if you get a referee who doesn't allow them to seal off and to control the game and get penalties, I think they're vulnerable because Leinster have a very fine ball-winning uh, breakdown unit themselves. They're big European team. It's going to be a colossal game. I would take Leinster to shave it. I, it's always nice to disagree with my school contemporary bands. 
I thought the referee at was at was was terrible, and that uh, the in the closing stages he let the uh, Claremont team dive in off their feet like swallow divers starting the Olympic hundred meter freestyle. But there we are. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Sarah, it was a big weekend for the women's game. Um, it's been a great season in the for the Alliance Premier 15s. Obviously, the World Cup is off, but uh, still created interest. And there was a lot of media, there was a lot of TV in the, at the two games. England, 50-odd against Scotland. France, 53 against Wales. How much did the huge margins detract from the importance or the significance of the games? Well, it's a tough one, I think. We're already excited that the Women's Six Nations is in a standalone window now. It's not competing with the Men's Six Nations for coverage. Mm. but And often we've moaned in the past about England-France being like the first game because the sort of titles decided early on. But a much more competitive couple of matches early on might have engaged viewers a bit more, I think. You know, and the thing is, Wales and Scotland were better than they were last year, but they and, but England and France were better too. So that gulf is still there. It's still huge. You know, the investment that France and England have put in over the last, you know, decade is totally, like, compared to Wales and Scotland is huge. And that's just borne out in the results on the pitch. So it does damage it slightly when we all love sport for jeopardy, for unknowns, not going into games where we don't know what the results are going to be. Having said that, we're all waxing lyrical about a European weekend here when yesterday there were some absolute hammerings as well. So we shouldn't read it just on this one weekend, I think. Next weekend, Wales host Ireland, and that should be far more competitive. I'm really intrigued to see who will come out on top of that. Like the Irish players have played once really in a year because they've had one test against Italy in October. They haven't played any club games. Most of the Welsh squad have been playing in the Premier 15s. But what was so disappointing against France is they had loads of possession. They just didn't, you know, and Warren Abrahams has spoken about this X factor and wanting to play on unorthodox rugby and create their own brand but they they didn't look like scoring anything they had 46 percent possession barely got over the game line I think Shuan Lillycrap the captain was the only one who significant made significant inroads there because the French line speed just closed them down Mm. they'd get the ball in a couple of phases later they'd be 20 meters further back down the pitch because the French defense was just so powerful so yeah I just hope it gets more competitive and at least with finals this time you will have three games on the last weekend that should be evenly matched. Lawrence, so you've been in professional rugby, well, amateur rugby for a lot of your career, but since then um, in professional rugby, is there any answer really to uh, a team that is that is professional playing a team that's not professional? And could, will, could, is there any way you can change that? 
I think you've hit the nail on the head in in many ways that, that, that there's a huge difference between the men's game of rugby and the women's game of rugby, and, and that's called professionalism. That, I, I mean, I, I can't remember exactly what the wage bill is for a um, for a Premiership team, but it's you know somewhere around about what well, keeps changing, doesn't it? But it's somewhere if they if they stick to the wage cap, what is it about five and a half million, six million? It's a hundred thousand at the moment in the women's game. £100,000 is what pays for a women's rugby team in the um, Premiership 15. And the, the gap that we're talking about at an international level is, is is enormous, is vast. You know, there's mismatches and that's why they've split the competition into two pools to try and avoid a situation where it's just dominated by, by France and England. But ultimately, the, the final will be played between France and England. And even in the Premiership, in, in you know, you've got the likes of, of Exeter, Saracens. And I, I think there needs to be a big decision made, actually, in, in women's rugby. Are the RFU going to keep funding the professional end of the game to the, um, you know, to the tune of a lot of money, uh, or are they, are they going to follow the club pattern and, and let the clubs take control of the uh, of the game? And that, there's a bit of an arm wrestle going on at the moment, and a bit of a debate around that. Um, you'd like to think that each and every club, I know from my own point of view, WASP are very supportive. We were one of the first teams to ever have a women's uh, mm. a women's women's rugby, uh, and of course, we'd like to. To take her, take the women's team forward, you know, join forces with the men's team up in up in the Coventry base and uh, and try and grow and develop the game. Hopefully, that is supported by all the other club owners. But at the moment, the only people that are paid are, are those who play for England, and uh, that needs to change. So uh, it feels like there's a there's a tipping point in in women's rugby in terms of its exposure, in terms of the investment required, and and at the moment, you're not comparing eggs with eggs because one game is professional. And still has its issues, and the other game is is, is amateur and, and completely amateur, and it needs to change. Stuart, this reaching a slight crisis point in the as Lawrence said, it's professional against amateur. Would it do England better if every year they played a, a three test series against against France, uh, and then the Six Nations took part took, was uh, was the province of the other teams, and then maybe people like Spain and Holland coming in. Because then you get a, a massive competitive uh, element to it, or is that just giving away too much? No, I, I, I think because the male Six Nations is such a, an overwhelmingly important Northern Hemisphere event, uh, it's the easy option is to say let's just emulate it, and that doesn't work because the equivalent at the moment is uh, four Italy's, and nobody would like a male Six Nations with four Italy's playing. I think an England-France series makes far more sense whilst the other nations grow. And almost the extent where the winners of the four nations play the Anglo-French champions. I don't know. Um, but I don't think emulating what the males has done necessarily works. And I don't yeah. think it does in terms of, 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 of professionalism either. Because I think what the pandemic taught us is rugby, in terms of male rugby, the wage caps uh, were far too top-heavy. The clubs are under pressure. Professionalism has actually put the game under a massive strain. It hasn't saved it and made it in all the ways that we hoped it would. And when you look at women's rugby, which is so infant in comparison, I hope you don't forgive me, Sarah, but obviously what I mean is it's it's a new... It's a new format. It's it's new to everybody. It's it's not had huge media coverage. So I think the right way at the moment for women's rugby is actually to stay professional, to become professional in a state of mind, but to ensure that the financial structure is one that will not leave them 10 years down the line uh, looking as if bankruptcy will, will kill them off 
unless the male cousin comes in and saves them. Okay, fair point. Uh, Sarah, just tell us um, the people who caught your eye on the weekend in, bo- in both games. What really impressed me in the England game was just the handling of the forwards. There were so many like little offloads, tip passes that really meant that when they made a line break, they could capitalise in it and it usually ended in a try. Definitely in the second half, they weren't as accurate as they would have liked, but it was still obviously a very convincing performance. I think the Cleal sisters, Poppy and Bryony, really stood out. Zoe Allcroft, back from injury, was really good at six when she's usually been playing at lock. Um, Lange Tuma in the midfield was her first game for a while because she's had quite a few injury problems as well, so she stood out. And then Jess Breach, as usual, was making loads of metres um, out wide. Helena Rowland got the first chance at 10 to sort of nail down that spot. Now Katie Daly-McLean's um, retired. She really favoured the crossfield kick, which didn't really come off um, on any occasion. But uh, her running game was really good as was her passing. In the France game, they had a new fullback, Emily Boulard, who was looked very rangy, like very tall, very thin but really rapid. Like whenever she got the ball, she really made ground. Gabrielle Vernier in midfield was good as well. And then obviously you had Caroline Bougeard who scored a hat-trick within 15 minutes just to really rub it in for Wales, I suppose. Mm. And Emmeline Gross, uh, number eight for France, was also very impressive. OK, well, this weekend we've got it- Italy playing uh, England in Italy and uh, it's Wales and Ireland. Let's just hope that the Italian team can get themselves together and that Wales and Ireland fight out a... Uh, a massive battle, which is won in the last minute by uh, a brilliant try. Um, Sarah, um, just go through La Rochelle Sale. I mean, Sale must have a chance there. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, Stuart made just about the physicality of Sale might be too much for La Rochelle, who are sort of new to this competition. Well, although, to be fair, it's I think it's 15 years since Sale last made it into the knockouts of a European mm-hmm. competition when they also won the league, so... They haven't been there for a while. But I think, yes, yeah, Sale could have a chance there. I'd go for Rassing and Toulouse for two away wins. Right. Um, X to Leinster, I'm really struggling with. Like, I Leinster better off having not played Toulon on Friday night because it was cancelled, having a week's rest. But they, they haven't had a chance really to reintroduce all their island players from the Six Nations for the fine, Pro 14 final. They didn't, you know, Sexton didn't start. I don't there were still quite a few players missing, so they might still be a bit disrupted. So I'll go Exeter at home. I, I, I think it's very important. I think probably Leinster would have liked to have, to have had the game. Uh, Lawrence, um, a key game for uh, television this weekend in England. Exeter, Exeter, do you agree with Barnsley that uh, Leinster have got a great chance there? And they've got a great chance. They've, they've been to Sandy Park in the past and they've won, uh, albeit in the pool stages, not in a knockout match. And... You know, the performances of some of their key international players, particularly against England, um, will give them a, a, a big lift. So, yeah, I mean, look, I could I could see Leinster. Uh, Exeter, I agree with Stuart, are a little bit vulnerable. You know, they're, they're still a great side. Don't get me wrong, I'm not writing them off in any way, but I just think Leinster have got a, a wonderful record in this competition. Um, mm. They obviously, uh, you know, they're, they're very much hungry for that success again. Um, they're still hunting that that fifth crown, aren't they? Uh, and be the first club that does that. So I, I, I'd actually fancy them to nick that one. Um, I think, you know, as much as I think Sailor are coming team, I, I still believe La Rochelle are good enough to win at home. I think the uh, Racing will, can go down to Bordeaux, a place they've already, the only team to beat Bordeaux at home this season have been Racing. Um, and I fancy Racing to win that. Um, and as I said, I, I, I genuinely, I'm going to put my neck on the block and, and see a surprise coming at Claremont. 
Okay, okay. Um, there's an, another competition, obviously, which has got some nice ties. And it looks like at the moment, possibly, that Le- Leicester, Steve Borthwick's Wonder Boys have uh, got an outside chance of a title. The four ties that are Leicester are playing Newcastle, Montpellier playing Benetton. Nice to have an Italian team in there. Northampton are playing Ulster, who hammered a, a weakened Quinns team on Sunday evening. And Bath are playing London Irish, which uh, which will be terrific. So, again, it's 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 this thing about the, the last eight becoming the last... Sorry, the last 16 become the last eight. And it's exciting. And uh, I think the Challenge Cup needs a, a, a tournament, and needs a, a good tournament. Leicester-Newcastle, do we all think that Leicester will have too much then for Newcastle, Stuart? Yeah, I, I... They did in the league recently, and I, I see no reason not to think there's enough steady improvement for Leicester to, to win that game. OK, Montpellier, Benetton, uh, Treviso, Sarah uh, must go for Montpellier there, even though they're not quite as good as they should be, really. Yeah, I think Montpellier will be eager to do to win that, as will Ulster at Northampton. You know, Ulster really disappointed. They didn't get a chance to play in the semi-finals of the Pro 14 this season because of the reformatting. So they're really chasing a trophy and I think they might upset Northampton. Lawrence uh, Saints, uh, Northampton Saints, really up and down. And Ulster, just look at, looking good, po- possibly the favourites for that tie, Ulster? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tough one to to gauge how good Ulster were yesterday. But I mean, they certainly came out the blocks steaming, didn't they? And, and mm. hungry. But I mean, Quinn's baffled by their selection. I mean, I'm sure Nick Evans and co will, will tell me that there's 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 a method to their madness and, and they obviously concentrate on the premiership but I, I, maybe they had so many injuries that they just thought you know what we'll go what we'll go one way or the other but I was really baffled by their selection it just made it a non-contest from the start and almost gifted the tie so Saints yeah they've they've had a funny old season you know under Chris Boyd I think he, he's a magnificent coach I guess it depends you know if it's a if it's an open game Saints have got some wonderful running skills and they're the best hand-to-ball side in the in, in the Premiership at the moment and by that I mean being able to catch and pass a, a, a rugby ball and pass it down the back line they, you know and that's not unusual for a key you know for a, for a New Zealand coach team because it's the skills that they focus on the catching and passing the footwork uh, how to beat defenders in, in a one-on-one situation so you know they have got that. The only problem is up front they can be uh, undermined a little bit by um, by mm. by a team that come at them through the front five and and really relentless. So yeah, I mean that that, that could go e- either way. The, the the fascinating tie for me is is, is Bath London Irish as well. You know both sides that on their day have played some some outstanding rugby in the in the last few few weeks. And again, you know, just depends which sides turn up. You really you'd fancy the home team Bath in that situation, but. But Irish with so much international experience, so much class. And Paddy Jackson, wow. You know, we talk about tens across the world. How well is he playing at the moment? Mm. How well is he pulling the strings there? So, uh, yeah, some some fascinating ties. I still think that uh, the thing, I'm, one of the things I'm most looking forward to when the fans come back is to going to Brentford because I just sense it's going to be a good atmosphere there and, and, and a growing club and, and a growing team. But I have to say that uh, Sarah and I are not involved. Um, majorly uh, involved in television like the, the rest of you. But let's be fair, it is the golden age of television uh, the last five or six years and, and especially this weekend where you can see, if you wanted to, every game, even for four journos like us, it's, it's, I find it difficult to watch every game. But um, it is it is the golden age, uh, Lawrence. Uh, to be fair, the TV companies have pulled out all the stops with, with, with this tournament, wherever they are. Well, I think they've had to go the extra mile as well because fans are not being allowed to, to to get into stadiums. You know, they've had to pivot maybe 
what they're doing and and, and take the rugby to the fans. Uh, and that's you know that's 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 can only be a good thing, really. I think you know I agree with with all of our panel. I think with the EPCR, whether they meant to or not, may have stumbled on a formula here that that, that they would decide to take forward and, and let that be the moment. I think this has always been a wonderful competition. Um, you know, in many ways, it's better than Test rugby, particularly at the knockout stages, because we only get knockout test rugby uh, once every four years don't we really and so to have to have it in in the format that it has I think if they tweak it a little bit um, I know we call it European but we're not part of Europe anymore so let's call it a a world club championship I think this competition's got the ability to grow I think the EPCR have got the ambition to grow it and I do think that it's going to include clubs from uh, from, from around the world, you know, whether you like that or not, I, I genuinely believe that's the direction of travel for this competition. Um, maybe it's not, we're not quite ready for it yet, but I could see it happening in a few years time for sure. Well said. Uh, now we can move on now to the traditional climax and uh, we all name our God or goddesses of the week. Uh, we'll start with Lawrence, if you've got one, Lawrence. I actually watched the, the England women's game and I've, I'm going to go for Poppy Cleal, uh, who's our, man, our man, man of the match. I, lo- I love a I love a player who can get yellow carded, only play 70 minutes and still get man of the match. Um, that, that that takes special skill. So uh, I think she got twin sister was playing as well, but uh, she's my goddess of the week. Poppy Cleal, uh, over to you, Sarah. I'm actually going to go for the other Cleal, Bryony, because um, Poppy was amazing. She probably is one of the best players in the world at the moment. But Bryony won her second cap two years after winning her first. She's had years of injury issues scored a try, assisted by um, Poppy, put over the line. And I just thought that was a really good moment. And I also want to just give a shout out to the referee. I'm probably going to pronounce this horribly. Aurelie Grosilou, who had to keep running back and forth to a tiny TV screen on the side of the pitch. It was like the VAR at football um, because they don't have a big screen at Doncaster. So that was how the TMO operated. And she probably put in more Ks than the whole of the squads combined. Well, that's a break with tradition. We never praise referees on the right foot, but we'll have that one. Stuart? In in a team of giant redwoods, I like to see that uh, those little Japanese trees, what are they called? Bonsai? Bonsai trees, yeah. Bonsai trees can flourish. Faf de Klerk and AJ McGinty are probably half the height of all those spring box but they were the brains and they ran the show. Now, Faf has had so many declarations of love for what he's done for South Africa, and he's a World Cup winner. So I'm going to go for AJ McGinty. Forget the 32 points. It was the way he manipulated the game that was brilliant. South Af- uh, Sale have been picking one of the Dupree brothers, who's six foot eight himself at 10. Now they've gone for McGinty, a proper size fly half, then they can do immortal things in the game. And AJ McGinty is my God of the Week. Very good. That's a very good one. Now, I would have gone for the third Cleal sister had there been one. So we got Pepe <laughs> Brony in the third one. <laughs> McGinty and, uh, and Faf are absolutely brilliant. I thought Faf to Clip was excellent yesterday. But I think we're going to have to make it joint this time to, 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 um, to please everybody. I think Poppy and Bryony, I think the two sisters should be our goddesses of the week. And uh, good for them. It's not their fault that the opposition wasn't that great. And maybe they're such great players that they made the opposition look poor. That was the ruck. Um, next week, we'll be reporting on the quarterfinal stages of uh, this European tournament, uh, both tournaments, in fact. It's been tremendous so far. It can hardly fail to be tremendous next week. Hopefully, we'll get tighter games in the Women's Six Nations. Uh, just like to thank Lawrence Delario, as ever, Stuart Barnes, 
and Sarah Mockford. Uh, Sarah Stewart's promised to file on time in the future. Uh, he's very sorry he's always late. Let's tell please, him the truth, Sarah. Pl- tell please, him. please, please don't. Never needs chasing because he always files early. Uh, thank you, Sarah. You crawler, Barnsley. <laughs> <laughs> Lawrence, Sarah, Stewart, many thanks. That was the wreck. Please don't download us. Please stay with us for the rest of the season. Thanks for joining today. helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.